and we're also live on Anchor. This is the first uh, Spotify show I've done in a while since the MLB draft in July, so got we're live on Restream, TalkShoe, and Spotify, Joey, so a lot to go over, and we're going to start with the number one pick, Toronto FC. I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about what they're going to do for a few months. And we thought this pick was either going to be West Virginia's Marcus Calderia or Clemson center back Pape Marboy. It turns out there was one other player they were looking at, Kamani Stewart-Baines, the freshman left winger on the Maryland Terrapins. Three goals, seven assists, has the kicking power, the kicking accuracy, only played 840, 850 minutes, but the speed, kicking power, kicking accuracy, passing, and stamina, if you want from an MLS winger, is there. Big 10 freshman of the year. Only 18, turns 19 in January, would not require an international roster slot, and could go to the MLS right out of the gate as a 19-year-old checking off every box. But that is the player Toronto is reportedly interested in picking. I think they should take uh, Papa Mar. Pape Marboy, honestly, but at the same time, it's like you can't really fault them if this is the conclusion they came to and this is the thought process they came to. You can't really fault them too much, Joey, because it's like this is, while it's somewhat surprising, I figured they'd wait to make like a, I, I figured they'd wait until like Tuesday to stir the MLS draft rumors after the title game where Clemson played Notre Dame. I figured they'd do that, but instead, what ends up happening is they end up stirring the pot on Sunday during the Bills-Chiefs game, and I was kind of surprised, kind of taken aback, kind of thrown off guard a little bit. Not too much, but a little bit. Because that's just how this draft cycle has been. And the crazy thing about this draft is there was a le record low three generation Adidas contracts. We found out from Kelkin Sport, my theory to Bob, because Bob told me there were only three generation Adidas offers. I was like, what? That can't be true. But then I found out they were only the freshmen. So I told Bob, maybe it's possible that the MLS is only going to give out generation Adidas offers to freshmen now that they're letting sophomores and juniors enter the MLS Super Draft. Maybe freshmen are the only players that are going to get Generation D, and that turned out to be correct, as Kelkin Sport, another uh, Twitter user that watches college soccer for a living, confirmed that. So only three freshmen in this draft got Generation Adidas offers, but there's a ton of underclassmen, Joey. Let me put it this way. Only six seniors cracked the first round of my mock draft. Only three more seniors made the second round. So 47 of the first 58 picks were either junior red shirts, juniors, sophomores, sophomore red shirts, or freshman red shirts. 
And that has never happened in MLS history. Like, that happens in the NFL and NBA draft. That does not happen in the MLS. So, to see an outlier of that magnitude this year, it really makes you wonder how this draft is going to end up playing out. Because I want to touch on that briefly before I get to Colorado at 2. Because I think it's pretty clear what Colorado is going to do at number 2. But it's like... The outlier there, Joey, is pretty big. It's a pretty big outlier because you weren't expecting that type of outlier from in this draft. Like, I was not expecting that many underclassmen to go. I was thinking maybe 19 to 25 underclassmen go in round one, and then we see some more seniors in round two. But it's like, no. 47 of the top 58 players in the currently in the first two rounds of my mock draft are underclassmen, which is insane. You know, man, that's just unheard of for soccer to have that many underclassmen in a draft class. I thought 2022 was going to be a deep class. Then I saw the amount of underclassmen last year's draft, and I thought, okay, 2023 might be deeper. And now because of the new underclassmen rules, MLS has found a way to improve their draft class for the third year in a row. And I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to play out, Joey. But do you have any thoughts on that before I get to number two? Uh, no, it's just seems really, like you said, it's strange for an MLS draft. Usually it's really tough to this year. Okay, number two, Colorado, Pape, Marboy. There were some trade rumors about Montreal trying to move up from 10 to 2. They only offered like 200000 in allocation money in the 10th pick, and Colorado was like, no, we want 350000 in 10 or 500000 in allocation money for the pick straight up. And then Colorado traded their left back to Chicago and got 550000 so Montreal was ready to raise the offer, and then Colorado's like, no, we want 400 k in the 10th pick, more than what Charlotte gave up for the number one pick, or 600 k in allocation money. And it's like, Montreal's probably not going to move up to two now because Colorado Rapids, the team Stan Kroenke owns, is saying, look, Montreal, if you want to move up to two, you want Marcus Calderia or Papa Marboy, you are going to be paying out the ass to get the number two pick. And... You know that pick is valuable when Stan Kroenke is making you pay out the ass to get it. I mean, the Rams had to pay out the ass to win a Super Bowl with their draft picks. So now, instead of being on the giving end where of the draft, now it looks like Colorado's going to stay pat unless they, they get something on the receiving end, like a, a killer package. And I think they're going to take Pop Baymar Boy, the Clemson center back, because you already have a lot of good center back depth. And you drafted Moisey Bombito out of New Hampshire. But if you pair him with Pop Baymar Boy, you're looking at a very good one-two punch at center back, probably the best center back starting lineup, as well as the best depth at center back in the entire MLS. And that kind of depth would make the Colorado Rapids a force in the Western Conference if Pape Marboy develops as well as Bombito. He already looks better than Bombito just from watching him at Clemson. And 
I mean, he had two goals, zero assists, four points, helped Clemson get nine of their ten shutouts when playing, nine interceptions, six tackles, one foul, no yellow or red cards against Syracuse, only gave up one goal in the final minute of the tournament. That was on a penalty kick, so that wasn't Pape Marboy's fault. Notre Dame got a penalty kick in the final minute of the tournament, but that was the only goal Clemson surrendered the entire tournament. I think Pape Marboy is the best player in this draft. I would take him at one, but from what reports I've heard and from the speculation, I think Colorado is, I think Toronto's taking Kimani, Kimani Smith-Baines. So that means Pape Marboy and Marcus Calderia, the two guys who've been one and two in my first two MLS mock drafts, are both going to be there at number two. Which probably explains why Colorado, and Colorado can do that. They have four first-round picks. They have two, four, 12, and 21. So if there's two star players like this who played each other in the College Cup, they can charge whatever they want, or they're going to stay put and take their, their guy at number two. Because when you have number two and number four, you can get best player and get a really good striker in what's a really deep forward class. I mean... A few months ago, I was telling you, Joey, we could see 15 forwards in round one, 10 more in round two. That's how deep this class is. And it seems like the last two or three drafts have been really deep at striker in rounds one through three. So it's like, you know, Pape Marboy is the most logistical pick. I mean, I like him more than Andrew Farrell, who went number one in 2013. Walker Zimmerman, the center back that from the MLS draft that made Team USA. Joshua Yarrow, second pick in 2016, who played three years at Georgetown. And Miles Robinson, the Syracuse center back. And you called him the Ray Lewis of soccer players. So I, I don't think Colorado moves out of two. I think it's just going to take a hell of an offer. The kind of offer that would sweep Stan Kroenke on his feet. Just offer that would blow away this Rapids organization to move up to two. And honestly, I don't see them trading this pick. They've got they've got three international under-22 slots. Their eight international slots are occupied, but the three under-22 slots are available. So if they want to draft an international player under the age of 22, they can. And Pape Marboy, I thought he was 20. He's 19. He turns 20 after the Super Draft. We found his birth certificate. Clemson website said he was 20, but we found out we found a birth certificate. We found a birth date for Pape Marboy from Senegal. He's 19. He doesn't turn 20 until after the Super Draft on December 30th, a day before Joey's birthday on New Year's Eve. So, like, you know, with that being said, I, I, I. I don't think you trade this pick if you're Colorado. I think you take Pop Baymar Boy and you get a second really good center back because you need help everywhere. You need that second good center back. You need a midfielder that can get you 10 assists. You need a striker that can get you 10 goals a year. And you need a good goalie with your starting goalie turning 34 and Colorado not wanting to renew him. Colorado needs help everywhere. So I think you have to take Pop Baymar Boy unless you get an offer you cannot refuse. So, I, I mean, that's got to be the pick. Miami, they could trade this pick to Montreal if Montreal's desperate enough to move up for Marcus Calderia. But if Miami stays put, I think they go with Josh Jones at three. I mean, 
Miami's only need really is getting better, getting more center backs, getting more bodies. They have quality starters at nine other positions. Also, Inter Miami CF opens up next season on Bet MGM as five to one odds to win the 2024 MLS Cup with Luis Suarez at striker and Lionel Messi at attacking midfielder. Yeah. The Columbus has 15 to 1 odds. They're the third highest. They have the third best odds, even though they return all 11 starters from their MLS Cup team. But we'll get to Columbus later. Um, you know, Inter Miami CF, I gave them Josh Jones. He's six foot five, 209 pounds. I mean, this is a player who's been consistent. He was one of five nominees for Gatorade Player of the Year prior to enrolling at Louisville was also one out of 32 high school players to get invited to the Generation Adidas Invitational at Real Madrid back in 2019. The former North Penn High School center back was a two-sport athlete, played soccer and basketball. He actually averaged 21.6 points per game and 7.6 rebounds per game in basketball, despite choosing soccer over basketball as his main sport upon arriving at Louisville. And he played 14-20 minutes as a freshman, he was the um, he was also the national premier soccer player of the year with the Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals in the spring of 2022. Prior to the summer of 2022, and he was the team captain at both North Penn High School and the Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals prior to winning the National Premier Soccer League Player of the Year award in 2022. Started all 18 games his second season, improved his minute total from 14. 22-16-27, playing 207 more minutes. Then he gets promoted to team captain this year, 1,514 minutes. And Jones looked like a man among boys in the 110 minutes of play against the Pittsburgh Panthers, Joey. I mean, this guy, a Pittsburgh player got injured during the game. He helped the player get back up. It says a lot about his character. But this guy looked like a stonewall defender, taking pressure off the goalie. I know some people refer to stonewall offensive tackles as stonewalls because of how much pressure they take off the quarterback. I think Jones and Marboy are both stonewall defenders in that respect that take pressure off of the goalie. And he's born in the United States, so you can draft him and stash him in your uh, team if you can't find a bidder to trade this pick. But if Calderia... And the other thing is Josh Jones kept Marcus Calderia scoreless when West Virginia beat Louisville 1-0 in the College Cup. So that's another reason to take Josh Jones over Calderia because it would require an international spot for Miami. Whereas Josh Jones will not require an international spot. And the more I watch Jones, the more I think he has the traits to be a top five pick in this draft. So, you know... I think with his consistency, that's a good pick for Miami if they stay put. But I think they are going to try to move this pick. Especially, I don't think Colorado's going to move up. I think either Montreal's going to try to move up to three or they're going to stay put. Or maybe another team that we don't expect steps in and does something. But I went Josh Jones at three. So how far did Marcus Calderia drop? From, he was number four in my first two mocks. Well, he fell to Colorado at four. So Colorado gets the two players I mocked at one and two in the last two mock drafts at at two and four with the LA Galaxy's first round pick. And the LA Galaxy decided to trade this pick away at the MLS trade deadline, even though they had a bottom five record. I'll never understand it. So, you know, it's like, I 
really am interested to see what happens here because Caldari is only 19. And I think Caldari is going to come in and be a difference maker. He did fatigue after the 65th minute against Clemson. Like, once we got to the 65th, 70th minute, he did fatigue. And it was at the point where Dallin Cuff and uh, Devin Kerr, the two announcers on the ACC Network who were phenomenal, basically said he looked tired. He looked fatigued. He, he looks like he's going to have trouble holding his own in the final 20 against Pop Amar Boy. So maybe that's an indicator as a scout that this is a guy who's effective, but he's only effective for 60 to 65 minutes. Maybe he's not a 90-minute guy, and that's okay. But as long as you know that limitation and recognize it, then you're going to be all right. But it's like, I'm looking at this guy... And he's going to be a top five pick. I don't think he goes number one. But he's he's 19. He doesn't turn 20 until October. And I think the longevity along with the consistency makes Marcus Calderia. I remember Calderia's first game at Pitt. He came in off the bench against Pitt when Pittsburgh beat West Virginia at home in 2022. And he did so well that he became the starter after that game. And he kept the starting job ever since. And... Calderia, we've talked about him for a while, but I don't think he's the, in the conversation to go number one. He could still go number one, but anything besides Kamani Stewart, Baines, Pape, Marboy, or Calderia to Toronto at one would shock me. But, like, you know, if Calderia's there at four, I think you have to pick him if you're Colorado, because now you've got the striker and you've got the really good defender and you've got a goal scoring striker you've got those two big pieces to accelerate your rebuild so that's who I would go with here at four all right rounding out the top five Joey we have Marshall's Matthew Bell forward for Marshall um I know Mar Austin FC has used all eight of their international slots but Austin FC still has all three under 22 international slots the 21 year old Matthew Bell would qualify for an under-22 slot. He's the fifth underclassman to get picked in my mock. Had 10 goals, 4 assists, 24 points as a true freshman, winning Sunbelt Freshman of the Year last year. This year he had 10 goals, 12 assists, 32 points, winning Sunbelt Player of the Year. He can play the 9 at striker, but he can also play the 7 at right winger, the 11 at left winger with his versatility. Marshall was 11-0 before losing to West Virginia. And Austin FC could be a really fun team to watch down the road. If Fodry, Valentin, Noel... And Matthew Bell are all on this MLS roster because you have the winger depth. You have the you have the if Pereira and Noel are the starting midfielders next year, all you have to do is draft the striker. Because Austin FC striker had ten goals in 2022, but that wasn't the case in 2023. You still have Yerudu, one of the league's best attacking midfielders at the ten. You have good winger depth, and you're losing so. Fine, DeJay Fall, but if you promote Valentin Noel, he can replace DeJay Fall. And you have a really good core offensively. You still got to fix your defense, but your core offensively would be good enough 
to give this fan base some optimism in Austin, Texas. And for Austin to go from the Western Conference Finals to picking in the top five, I don't think it's what the franchise wanted. But, I, I mean, with there's rumors Colorado could take Bell at four. There's rumors Chicago could take Bell at six. I think Austin's going to swoop in and pick him at five if he's here. They need a striker, and it just makes too much sense for them not to pick him here. He's one of the five best players in this draft. He's a player we've been talking about, I've been talking about for two years on this podcast with you, Joey. So Matthew Bell goes number five. Any thoughts on this top five before I get to the top ten? Because... It is. And the MLS Super Draft, I would argue, a lot of people say the MLB suit, MLB Draft's the biggest crapshoot. I would argue the MLS Super Draft is the biggest crapshoot. But we're on to Chicago Fire. They have the sixth pick. They've used all eight international slots. And last year, Chicago traded a first-round pick to Orlando City SC for former Rookie of the Year Chris Muller. That ended up costing the Fire the sixth pick in the draft, which Orlando used to draft Duncan McGuire, who had 13 goals as a rookie. Now Chicago gets their striker because they have they have a good attacking midfielder. I've heard rumors about Matthew Bell here. I've heard rumors about Usman Silla here. Uh, Usman Silla would count as an international roster slot. I don't think they can pick him. I've heard Giorgio Kovsevsky, the Syracuse senior, could go here, but he's an attacking midfielder, and Chicago already has a good attacking midfielder, so taking him doesn't make any sense for the fire, unless they just want to stash him for depth. But Jacob Morell, 6'3", 180, 7 goals, 3 assists, 17 points as a freshman. He had 11 goals, 4 assists, 26 points as a sophomore. He's only 19. He can declare for the draft. He's my sixth underclassman under the board. His main position's the nine at striker, but he can play the seven, the right wing, the nine at striker, or the 11 at left wing in the MLS, and he just makes a lot of sense for Chicago here. He does not turn 20 until March 29th, 2024, so he'd be 19 for the first month of the MLS season. Um, Next up is DC United. They do have six of their eight international slots locked up. They could take a they could take a um, international player here, but I gave them a domestic player. Um, I gave them Daniel Barker John, striker Louisville, and this is an interesting player because Daniel Barker John had nine goals, three assists, twenty one points during his sophomore season, and you know. This is a player who I watched him in person against Pittsburgh. He had the gate he had the assist in overtime that gave Louisville a one-nothing lead. And then he put the dagger on the Pitt Panthers in the ACC tournament game. And when I say put the dagger on the Pitt Panthers, I mean he made it he kicked a goal in the net. But this was not just any goal, Joey. This was a soccer goal from half court. And those are pretty freaking rare. You do not see those in the pro leagues anymore. You might see those once in a while in college, but it's pretty rare to see a soccer goal from half court 
in person. Like you, I, I think it's, I think you're more likely to get a half court shot in the NBA. But Parker, but da, Damian Parker John, he might have the best leg in this class because he, he's the only player I've seen that can make that goal from half court. And you know, that's pretty impressive. It's like, okay, you made a shot from half court in soccer. That's pretty impressive. Okay? And nine goals, three assists, 21 points as a sophomore was at the 2023 MLS College Showcase. This is a guy from Queens, New York, and New York City FC has the eighth pick. So if DC United passes on him, New York's probably going to take him at eight. So I went Daniel Barker John. A little bit of an unconventional pick, but I think Barker John. The fact that he's younger than Josh Jones, the fact that he dominated the way he did in the ACC tournament against Pitt when I saw him in person, the fact that he's at the MLS College Showcase, and the fact that you can line him up at right wing or striker makes him an intriguing option for a team like DC United at number seven. So that is the seventh player off the board, and we've had seven underclassmen. First seniors finally coming off the board at number eight. It is Uzman Silla, the Clemson midfielder. He had, I mean, I with Chicago, Montreal, New York City FC all having interest in Silla, I think Silla goes here at eight. 13 goals, 10 assists, 36 points, five game-winning goals, two for two on penalty kicks, and he played 1,306 minutes in 2023. And Silla's a defense. He could play defensive midfielder at the six. He could play the eight at central midfielder, the ten at attacking midfielder. He is arguably a top ten prospect following his hat trick against Boston College and his run at the College Cup. He led Clemson to two championships in three years, which is why I think Silla is the first senior off the board. But I think you can make a case for Silla or Oregon State striker Logan Farrington. But the championship pedigree with Silla is what teams love. And the fact that so many people are talking about Silla, the fact that three teams in the top 10 are looking at him, that tells me he's going to get picked in the top 10, Joey. I had this guy at 15 in my last mock, but he had a hat trick against Boston College in the regular season. He's dominated throughout the NCAA tournament this year. I just think Usman Silla is going to get picked in the top 10. The fact that there's three teams in the top 10 rumored to be picking the senior, he's going to get picked. He's going to get picked somewhere in the top 10. I just think New York can promote M.D. Myers. M.D. Myers had 17 goals in MLS next. They can just promote him at striker and reload at midfielder, and I think they will, and I think they'll reload with Usman Silla at number 8 two years after winning the 2021 MLS Cup. So Usman Silla is the first senior off the board at eight. He's the only senior in the top 10 to make this mock draft. So here's the thing with that, though. If, if you're picking that early, you want the draft your top 10 picks and you're picking Around a winner, a winning coach, somebody who's experienced and done it at a high level. 
I agree. It just depends. And there's already rumors from Tom Bogert of The Athletic that he may get a pro deal somewhere else outside of the United States. Because remember last year, um, Mo... There was um, Mo Syracuse striker... Yeah, there was a Syracuse striker in last year's draft. Who went overseas. Um, yeah, it was Mo, um, Mo... Not Mo Adams. It was Mo... Um, that's Levante... No, I do not want. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of the name of the Syracuse player because there was a Syracuse. Um, it was Nathan Apaku. Nathan Apaku. That's it. Nathan Apaku. He turned down the MLS. Probably would have been the number one pick as a sophomore, but he got an offer to play for Leeds or Nottingham in the Premier League, so he took that and ran with it. I don't think Silla's getting an offer that big, but I've heard. Tom Bogert of The Athletic, he's one of the best insiders when it comes to MLS soccer. Him and Andrew Wiebe are two of the best insiders. So if they're saying Silla may not enter the MLS draft, he may he may take the same route as he may take the same route as Nathan Apaku, then that's something to take with a grain of salt. And, you know, looking at some of these teams. Colorado could take Pape Marboy and Silla, the two Clemson players at two and four. Because they, well, no, Usman Silla is 22 years old. So the if a team wants to bring him up to the MLS right away, they have to take, I think the earliest team that could do that is New York. But there are some other teams that could stash Silla in MLS next until an international roster slot comes up and make him earn that promotion in the MLS. That's another route that could be explored. But either way, Silla, my top senior in this class. Um, number nine, Zach Bohane, midfielder Stanford. I had this guy in Austin FC in my last two mocks. Eight, he had eight goals, 11 assists, 27 points, while helping Stanford record seven shutouts as a sophomore. He is the 8th underclassman in my top 9. He's an attacking midfielder, but he can play the 6 at defensive midfielder, the 7 at right winger, the 8 at central mid, the 10 at attacking mid, or the 11 at left winger. Very versatile at 5'10", 150. Minnesota, they like to get a striker, but Bohane is just too good of a talent to turn down at this point. So you take the best player on your board, and you try to get a striker with that third round pick in an insanely deep striker draft. And rounding out the top 10, my final generation Adidas freshman, Stefan Anor Gaiamfi. 10 goals, no assists, 20 points, ACC freshman of the year. To be fair, Stefan Anor Gaiamfi did not face Clemson and Pop Baymar Boy. So you can argue that, yeah, those goals came from having an easier strength of schedule. That's why he comes in at number 10 on this mock, but... He doesn't come in in the top five, but he could. he's one of these guys who could end up moving into the top five since he's a generation Adidas. 
but he's twenty year he's a twenty year old freshman. There's nineteen year old players in this draft that have more longevity. Maybe not more upside, but they have more longevity. And CF Montreal's a team with four international roster slots. So, you know, you can get Stefan and or Giamfi at 10 if you just stay put. You don't have to trade up and give up a ton of allocation money in this draft. I think if you stay put, Stefan and or Giamfi is probably the best pick for CF Montreal at 10. But that is the top 10, Joey. And in the last mock, we had Forster Ajago, the ACC Player of the Year here. Found out Forster Ajago is not on the official MLS draft list, so he is not eligible to be picked in this draft, which kind of stinks, but it is what it is. There was no reason. The rules always state that in order to be eligible for the Super Draft, you have to be on the list. Ajago may have been on last year's list, and if that's the case, he's not eligible for this draft. Because once you're on the list... That's your only opportunity to get drafted. I think they're going to change the rules so you can go back if you're on the list and you don't get drafted, but, like, I don't know. They, uh, they need to look into that. That's all I'm going to say on that note. Um, Portland has two impact players with left midfielder Vander, who led nine goals playing attacking midfielder while lining up at left winger and their right winger, Santiago Moreno, who had three goals. but And both guys are impact players, but neither's an established star yet. Also, Sebastian Blanco, their midfielder, who had 41 goals, 51 assists, 92 points in 176 games, a free agent. Jefferson Amaya, the 20-year-old from High Point that Florian told me about, is the best player on the board who has the best chance of replacing Blanco here at 11, 6'1", 170 pounds. He played for Charlotte Independence in the USL, as well as High Point in the NCAA the last two years, playing the eight at central midfielder. He had five goals, four assists, 14 points, 21 shots, nine shots on goal, three game-winning goals, one for one on penalty kicks, played 978 minutes, and helped High Point record he helped High Point record eight shutouts as a true freshman in 2022. Jefferson Amaya had five goals, six assists, 16 points, 37 shots, 21 shots on goal, two game-winning goals, two for two on penalty kicks, 1,510 minutes, and seven shutouts as a sophomore after losing first-round goalie Holden Trent, the Union's 2023 first-round pick. Um, this is a player that I think is good enough to get picked here and probably the best fit for the Timbers at 11. I know they need a striker, but at the same time, you're losing a star midfielder like Blanco, 92 points in 176 games over the last five years. That's not going to be easy to replace, whether it's free agency or the draft. So Amaya just fits that team need, fits the bill for what you'd like to see Portland do at 11. And... Number 12, Roberto Ordonez, Cal State Fullerton midfielder. He had nine goals, 10 assists. He's the number one player on top draw soccer's midseason rankings from October, which are probably going to be updated. They probably have been either updated today or they're going to be updated today because I know on Thursday they updated the top 100 for the women's rankings and then they updated the top 100 freshmen 
yesterday. So I'm willing to bet top draw update already updated their rankings today, but I just haven't had the chance to look during the podcast. But Ordonez, junior redshirt, not a bad number one, number 12 pick for Colorado, a midfielder that helps this team out, and definitely a good value pick here for a attacking midfielder. You get Pape Marboy at two. You get Calderi at four, and then you get Ordonez at twelve. You could, st- and then you can get your goalie at twenty-one. That's the ideal strategy with four first-round picks in this draft. And Ordonez is a player who can help you out. Number thirteen, San Jose Earthquakes, Matthew Rue, striker, Notre Dame. San Jose runs it, ran a four-three, four-two-three-one in the regular season and a four-four-two in the playoffs. You get Matthew Rue, who had. 10 goals, 3 assists, 23 points. The junior, you could create a 4-4-2 with Cade Cowell at left winger, Ebo Bice at striker, Ruse your secondary striker, and Christian Espinoza at right winger. That would be far tougher to game plan around. And I don't fault San Jose for running a 4-4-2 against, um, against some of these teams. But it's like, you don't have that second striker. So if you're going to run that formation, you've got to draft a second striker. That's really my only pet peeve. But hey, if you if you get Matthew Rue, that will fix some of that. And, you know, by fixing that area, you make this offense a lot harder to stop. And you also have, you still have Useni Buda. The seventh pick, the eighth pick in the 2022 MLS draft for depth, who was number one on your big board back in 2022, entering his third year. So you have a lot of young pieces, but you've got to take that next step. You got to the playoffs and lost in the wild card round in the uh, play-in game featuring the nine versus eight seed, and you lost in that play-in round. But you know it's like. You should be able to rebound. New York Red Bulls, they take the second senior off the board, Joey. Logan Farrington, striker, Oregon State, played at Wisconsin-Milwaukee, went to Oregon State in the transfer portal, had a really good year at Oregon State. I had him at 13 in my last mock, moved him down a spot. And it's not that Farrington isn't a top 10 talent. You could certainly argue that Logan Farrington, 15 goals, 7 assists, 37 points. The announcers on ESPNU and ACC Network were comparing him to Duncan McGuire in last year's College Cup. And you know what? He scored two goals, two assists, four and six points against SMU in a 7-1 Sweet 16 win. That SMU team was ranked sixth in the tournament. They were the sixth seed, and they were one point, they were the number two team in the country behind Marshall. So to have a statement game like that against SMU and to get Oregon State past North Carolina to Louisville, Kentucky for the College Cup, their first Final Four appearance in school history, it's a good accomplishment for Farrington. I think it's one that makes Farrington a top 15 pick as a senior. And, you know, this is a team that has five of their eight international roster slots occupied. But, you know, you've got a defense that produced 12 shutouts. You've got a midfield, you got a left winger that's got double-digit goals, but you don't have a striker 
and you've got some decent central midfielders. So getting that striker here is probably the smartest move for New York Red Bulls at 14, and Logan Farrington makes a lot of sense. And at number 15, wrapping up the top 15, FC Dallas. This is a team that currently has seven of their... What's going on? Okay. Seven of their top 15 slots filled... And this is a team that has seven of their top 15 slots filled, but, like, there's talks they're going to get a center back in the draft. And they have Josh Ramsey, the Notre Dame junior center back, in their academy as one of the homegrown players they can sign next year. But they want somebody else to challenge him for minutes. And the rumor is they're going to take a center back at 15. I went with Mads. Westergren, the 21-year-old center back from Southern Methodist, seems like an ideal player for FC Dallas to draft. And, you know, Clark Hunt owns FC Dallas. And with the success Rasheed Rice has had with the Chiefs, went to SMU as well, by the way, maybe Clark Hunt's scouting department takes another Southern Methodist Mustang because... SMU is literally the Pony Express now in college soccer. They're no longer that in football. I don't think they'll ever ascend to that height in football. But, like, Mads Westergren held Luis Flores, Oral Roberts, winger that I had a first-round grade on my last mock to a shutout earlier in the season. I mean, and he did well as a sophomore against Stanford in a 3-1 loss to Stanford with the freshman center back struggling. I mean, FC Dallas could also consider Washington center back Nate Jones if they want a domestic center back here rather than an international one. But at this point, I'm thinking Mads Westergren, the 21-year-old, 6'3", 184-pound center back, one goal, four assists, helped SMU get nine shutouts. And you have him and Josh Ramsey. That would be a really good center back tandem to have down the road. I know you got the center back from LAFC. But he's, he was 32-33 when he signed his free agency deal. He's not a long-term piece. You need more bodies at center back if you're going to make a run. You also got to get more midfielders. You've got Jesus Ferreira at striker, and you've got the goaltending, but you need more if you're going to make a deep playoff run. So I got Mads Westergren going to FC Dallas at 15. That is the top 15. Any thoughts on that before we get to the back half of round one? Well, one player who may be a superstar is Akrad's Jason Shukaluk. This is a guy who led the country in goals at one point in the season. He had 14 goals, 5 assists, 33 points, a junior redshirt. And he would count as an underclassman. He can play the 9 at striker as well as the 11 at left winger. He's the 14th underclassman to go in the top 16. Um, Nashville, they take the same player I've mocked the last two times. Ryan Carmichael, Hofstra, third senior off the board. Um, 
Nashville only has four of their eight international slots occupied. And they've got Hani Mukhtar. He can play the nine at striker or the 10 at attacking midfielder. And Mukhtar plays the 10 when Nashville deploys one forward and plays striker when Nashville deploys two forwards as that left striker. But you need a second striker to take pressure off of Mukhtar regardless of whether you deploy a 4-4-2 or a, you deploy a formation where Mukhtar is the 10 at attacking midfielder. You need that second guy. And, you know, I went with... And Nashville was a team that recorded 13 shutouts compared to the 11 Orlando had, but Orlando had a greater variety of scores, and I said that would be the difference. Um, Ryan Carmichael's a four-year starting forward at Hofstra, whose hometown is Ireland. He will require an international slot, but that's something Nashville has. Four goals, zero assists, eight points in 10 starts. A freshman in the spring had 15 goals, nine assists, 39 points in 22 starts in the fall of 2021 as a sophomore. 10 goals, four assists, 24 points a junior in 2022. And then this year, 17 goals, five assists, 39 points. Ryan Carmichael plays the nine at striker. He's also willing to win the kickoff in addition to scoring with his kicking power and kicking accuracy. He plays the right forward role in Hofstra's 4-4-2. Mukhtar plays the left forward role in Nashville's 4-4-2, but they need an upgrade at right forward in the 4-4-2. Ryan Carmichael, not just the best player on the board, but the perfect scheme fit for Nashville here at 17. And yes, he's a senior, but one of the more consistent seniors in the draft who's dominated at Hofstra the last three years, and it's like, yeah, he, he he's there's a reason he's number 14 on top draw soccer's midseason rankings. I mocked him at 17, but that's because I couldn't find a team to pick him, and I think Nashville at 17, this is a good spot for him to go to, and good scheme fit, which is even more important when drafting these guys, Joey. If you can find a player who fits your scheme as far as formations go in soccer can really make a difference and we've talked about scheme fits and for football numerous times in this podcast so you understand the importance of having a good scheme fit player and that's what Carmichael Ryan Carmichael is here at 17 even though he's 22 years old and he's a senior he is a good scheme fit player for Nashville perfect scheme fit player so that's why he's the pick and I have another senior coming off the board at 18 um, Giorgio Kosevsky, five goals, four assists, 14 points, a junior at Syracuse, helping Syracuse win the 2022 College Cup. He had one goal, 12 assists, 14 points as an attacking midfielder at the 10. Real Salt Lake is a good core of guys in their back line. I gave them a, I gave them a striker, but at 16 with the first round pick they got from Vancouver. Now I'm giving them somebody who, frankly is capable of playing midfielder. And I I think Jason Shukaluk at 16 is that striker and the playmaker midfielder Kosevsky at 18. Those guys help your identity. So those are the players I went with. Number 19, Atlanta United FC. I didn't know about this guy until last night, but right wing, Atlanta needs a right winger. The youngest right winger in the draft is Stanford right winger Fletcher Bank. 5'10", 165, two, had two goals, eight assists, 12 points as a sophomore. Fletcher Bank and his twin brother Palmer Bank are considered the best twins in all of college soccer. 
Fletcher Bank, now the 15th underclassman to get picked. I also got Palmer Bank going late in the first round, so stay tuned to find out where I have Palmer Bank. Speaking of Palmers, though, Palmer Alt, preseason number one pick. He was. He was the preseason number one pick. I would not shut up about this guy in August, Joey. And this guy had 10 goals, 6 assists, 26 points a true freshman. Biggie's freshman of the year. He only had 6 goals, no assists this year. But he is on the official MLS draft list as a true sophomore. He's only 19 years old. He won Mr. Soccer in the state of Indiana as a high school senior after his dad won Mr. Basketball. Honestly, New England is a team that can gamble on Palmer Alt. They have everything back except a striker with Gustav Boo. Gustavo Boo, 44 goals, 20 assists, 64 points in 100 regular season games, now a UFA. They fired their head coach, Bruce Arena. They got to get a GM, but they do have a um, sporting director, which could help. But, you know, Palmer Alt is a high-risk, high-reward pick. And if Palmer Alt plays like he did as a freshman... This could this pick for New England right here at 20 could end up being a massive steal, Joey. And, you know, it's like how much of a chip of a shoulder. If Palmer Alt, a preseason candidate to go number one, ends up falling to 20, how big of a chip is, is he going to have on his shoulder if he ends up going to a team like the New England Revolution? That's really the big question here because it's like, you know, that's the big question here. It's like Palmer Alt is good enough to get picked in the top 20 from an upside standpoint, but at the same time, are any teams going to be alarmed by the fact that he regressed so much after dominating as a freshman? He had a little bit of a down year, only six goals, no assists, 12 points. As a sophomore, maybe he was double team more. Maybe the pressure of being the number one pick got to him. But I wasn't sure if he would end up going back or if he would end up in this draft. He is in the draft. And, you know, there's another caveat to the MLS draft this year, Joey. That means, basically, if you don't want to sign a player to a contract, you can let that player return to college and you retain their rights for two more years, Joey. So New England can draft the 19-year-old Palmer Alt, and they don't have to sign him until December 31st, 2025. They have from now until then to sign him, Joey. So New England, if they don't think Palmer Alt's ready for MLS next, they can draft him here. They can draft the 19-year-old and let him go back to college and develop. While it's an unconventional method, I think we are going to I think this is the point in the draft where we're going to start seeing teams do that at pick 20. With most of the stars off the board, this is the part of the draft where you're going to start to see that principle, that strategy of, okay, we can draft a 19-year-old, but we can let him go to college for a year or two and develop before we sign him to an MLS contract. I think by pick 20, we're going to start seeing that with some of these underclassmen, Joey. And Palmer Alt's probably the first example we may see that with. So... But we'll see. I mean, there's other strikers in this draft if New England wants to go a different route. But I figured Palmer Alt would be a good pick here. Colorado, they get the top goalie in my draft. Brian Dowd, a senior goalie at Notre Dame, 
had 10 shutouts in the fall of 2021, struggled as a junior, 12-3-6 with an 8-24 save percentage, 70 saves, 11 shutouts with Notre Dame. Also listed as a punter on Notre Dame's football team. Could he be the Brandon Aubrey? Considering the success Aubrey's had as a former Notre Dame center back turned kicker, maybe the lesson here is to stay patient with your Notre Dame prospects in college soccer because if you don't, they might get paid professionally to play another sport professionally. I mean, just saying, Aubrey's 30 for 30 on field goals this year. Dowd shut out in the round of 32 after Notre Dame lost as the top seed in the ACC tournament. And he takes Notre Dame all the way to the championship before they lost to Clemson. Dowd is one of the six seniors to get picked at 21. Sporting Kansas City goes with an academy player at 20, at 22, Tucker Lepley. Tucker Lepley showed so much promise as a true freshman, five as a freshman redshirt. Five goals, seven assists, 17 points at left winger. Gets injured in... Gets injured in 2020... Gets injured in 2021. And then... Gets injured in 2021. No, he's healthy in 2021. He gets injured in 2022, but then he comes back this year. Three goals, two assists, eight points. Dominates the MLS College Showcase despite having three goals, two assists, eight points, and 18 starts. It's possible... Sporting Kansas City goes in another route. But Tucker Lepley is a guy who could complete the identity of this offense if you take him here at 22. And he's familiar with the academy. He's familiar with the system Sporting Kansas City runs. And that familiarity may get him picked here. All right, number 23, Seattle. They 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 go with... Seattle goes... Seattle runs a 4-3-2-1 formation... And Seattle goes with Richie Aman, midfielder, Washington. And Richie Aman, 5'9", 160, one goal, four assists, six points as a sophomore. I mean, he had one goal and one assist in Washington's road win over the Indiana Hoosiers, who made the Elite Eight. He's 19 years old, turns 20 in March. Somewhat raw, but the upside to develop into... a really good attacking midfielder down the road. So you can upgrade the 10 attacking midfielder if you take Richie a man. But this is a player that... This is a player that, you know, you can... Seattle's had success drafting players out of Washington. They drafted Alex Christian Roldan out of Washington. He was the number two player in the draft. He fell to like, fell to like 15 in 2015. Some ridiculous number. And Seattle was a he was as good as advertised, and Seattle had success with Washington Huskies. So that Richie Aman, the youngest Husky, comes off the board at twenty three. Um, Inter Miami CF they use this first round pick from the Philadelphia Union on Nate Jones. Nate Jones six three one ninety can play the four at sweeper, the five at center back. 
Washington had an undefeated season in 2022 in Nate Jones' first year as a starter, where they went undefeated in the regular season before losing. And then this year, Washington only recorded three shutouts after recording nine. College Soccer News has this guy going in the top five, but but you got to understand, Nate Jones' 2022 tape was much better than his 2023 tape. That's why I have him at 24, but he could theoretically go a lot earlier than where I'm projecting him. So Nate Jones is a player to keep an eye on leading up to the Super Draft. Four minutes left on anchor, five picks left. Um, Orlando City SC, Jonathan Robinson, left back, Western Michigan. 5'8", 155 pounds. He had two goals, five assists, nine points, 25 shots. Helped Western Michigan record 11 shutouts playing the two at left back and played 1,874 minutes and 21 starts as a sophomore redshirt in 2022 after transferring to Western Michigan from Marquette. Marquette hardly played the guy. And then this year he had one goal, 13 assists, 15 points, 36 shots, helped Western Michigan record 12 shutouts after losing their starting goalie, Hunter Morse, who became FC Cincinnati's second-round pick, played 1,893 minutes and 22 starts, a junior redshirt. The results and consistency are there with Jonathan Robinson in terms of defending and leading Western Michigan to -to back-to-back conference championships. The fact that this guy improved without his starting goalie as an underclassman, played 3,761 minutes over the last two years, 20th underclassman in my rankings. He's my top left back and my top fullback. Didn't get invited to the MLS College Showcase, but I think he's a first-round talent regardless. If you watch the tape, he really stood out in the 2022 tape against Bowling Green. I mean, he played well in that game. So there's a reason why this guy is in my first round, Joey. Ever since I scouted him because I was looking for gems in the draft, I was like, wow, this guy is really good. And then I've got um, Brandon Parrish, the Clemson midfielder who scored the go-ahead goal in the championship against Notre Dame. Houston needs a midfielder, and Bob Skinner described Brandon Parrish as the engine of the Clemson offense, and they get the engine for their midfield. Houston needs a midfielder, so it's like, you know, he does possess the stamina engine to play the six at defensive midfielder. He can also play the eight at central midfielder, but I think he's a better fit as a box-to-box midfielder. Also, the team captain of the Clemson soccer team, Pair with Ethan Bartlow at center back and Thor Olferson at striker. Number 27, Timothy Arias. Timothy Arias, a 19-year-old jack-of-all-trades player on the right side of the pitch from Costa Rica, can play the three at right back, the six at defensive midfielder, the seven at right winger, and the eight at central midfielder. Only started three games as a freshman while playing in nine. But Timothy Arias had zero goals, one assist, one point, helped Central Florida produce three shutouts. And Arias started 11 games this year where he played 90 or more minutes. So stamina's not a question. And really the only reason I'm considering this guy this late in the first round is because the stamina is so incredible. It's like 11 games where he's played 90 or more minutes. Okay. The goals and assists need to jump up. You'd like to see more shutouts, but the stamina's there. The stamina you want from an MLS player, a 19-year-old MLS player is there. So... You know, this guy might end up going higher than where I'm projecting him. On a domestic right back like Kevin Bonilla can also be an option, but I went with Arias here, and then I went with Morris Dugan, the Marshall center back at 28, 
LAFC lost the center back to FC Dallas after winning the 2022 MLS Cup, and after losing the 2023 MLS Cup to Columbus, their other center back retired. So not only does LAFC need one center back, they may need two. Morris Dugan, the backbone of the Marshall Thundering Herd defense, Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year, helped Marshall record 10 shutouts starting in nine games. And then Palmer Bank, the twin of... Fletcher Bank, left back, freshman redshirt on Stanford. That is my first round. Joey will have his thoughts back for hour two on Anchor. Hey, guys, do not bet on the 16th pick in round two. That's probably a bad idea. Yep. Um, number 30, kicking off round two. We This is the first draft prospect to be named after a fictional TV character. North Carolina center back, Toronto FC selects North Carolina center back Charlie Harper. Yeah, I was like, really? We have a draft prospect named Charlie Harper? And when I saw that, I immediately thought of the character played by Charlie Sheen. Because if you Google Charlie Harper, the character played by Charlie Sheen, not the center back from North Carolina, is the first thing that comes up. But yes, it gets even crazier. Charlie Harper the uh, center back of North Carolina. He's the son of Alan Harper. That's the name of the brother on the show, Two and a Half Men. Gets even, the story gets even crazier. Versatile enough to play the four at sweeper, the five at center back, left-footed center back. Charlie Harper's only 19 or 20 as a 2022 high school graduate, born on June 6th. Toronto can stash him in MLS next or use one of their three under 22 international slots to select the Japan native. And you can also develop him at North Carolina as a sophomore redshirt in 2024 and a junior redshirt in 2025 since he is a freshman redshirt. You do not have to bring him up to the MLS right away if you think he's raw. And, you know, this is a player that he ended up helping North Carolina get like eight shutouts. So, you know, it's like he's a pretty good player to get early in round two. I mean, it's like, this is a player that, so yes, Charlie Harper kicks off round two, and no, it's not related to the two and a half men character. Next up, the Rapids, Ernest Mensa Jr., Fullback Xavier. Ernest Mensa Jr.'s 5'10", 177. Has the versatility to play the 2 at left back, 3 at right back, 4 at sweeper, 5 at center back. Also a domestic-born player. He spent the last two seasons playing the 3 at right back. 0 goals, 2 assists, 2 points. Helped Xavier get 7 shutouts, 1,109 minutes as a freshman. 0 goals, 1 assist, 1 point. Helped Xavier record 8 shutouts. Very physical defender. Great at sweeping, great at getting tackles, great at intercepting the ball and high-pointing the ball. He was 5'10", 163 pounds in high school. And Ernest Mensa Jr. added 14 pounds of muscle since graduating from high school. So, you know, he's fast, he's athletic, and he's added 14 pounds of muscle since high school. That's... And that's good size for an outside back at left back or right back at one of your fullback spots. Not necessarily the size you want for a center back, but that's good size for an outside back. And 
Colorado's a team that needs to draft a starting left back. They also could use more depth at right back. So it's like, you know, Ernest Mensa Jr., low-risk, high-reward pick here in round two. And if he doesn't develop, you can just keep him in college. He's the 25th underclassman in my top 31. So, you know, it's like... Next up, we have a senior coming off the board here. Inter-Miami CF, they draft a senior to develop and stash in MLS. Next, Alec Hughes, striker, Massachusetts. This is a player who had 10 goals, 2 assists, 22 points. He was the co-Atlantic 10 player of the year for Massachusetts as a junior in 2022. Came back, had 15 goals, 1 assist, 31 points, took 73 shots, 37 of those 73 shots were shots on goal as a senior. He was the Atlantic 10 player of the year as a senior for a second year in a row. He's a natural nine at striker. He can come up to MLS next, develop for a year. Then he, then he can be a backup to Luis Suarez. in 2025 before potentially starting in 2026. So Alec Hughes, a very consistent player for UMass these last two years in the Atlantic 10, ends up going to Inter-Miami at 32. And Alec Hughes is a player that I had a first-round grade on, but because of the overwhelming amount of underclassmen in this draft, he falls to round two. He's a good player. It's like, he's not a top 15 player, but, you know... In any other MLS draft, he's a guy who would go in the back half of round 1 and 16 through 29. He still ends up getting picked at 32, which is a good spot for him, you know? So, I, I mean, you can't really complain about that pick. Now, my LA Galaxy, what are we going to do? I've got the LA Galaxy getting a underclass as junior redshirt. Tyree Spicer, striker, Lipscomb. Tyree Spicer finally put it together. 14 goals, 3 assists, 31 points. Plays the 9 at striker. He did manage to score on Indiana in the round of 48 at the College Cup. Indiana usually reloads in the back line. Spicer is the kicking power and kicking accuracy you want from a 22-year-old striker. What's more impressive is his speed. This is a guy who can run a mile in 5 minutes and 40 seconds. He can run 2 miles in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. That is how fast Tyree Spicer is. He got an invite to the MLS College Showcase, but he declined the invite to recover from an injury. Even with the medical concerns surrounding Spicer, you have to look past that because if you can run a two miles in under 15 minutes, you are fast. And it's like, Joey, how fast is that? Is that faster than you? You've ran miles around Jacksonville. This guy can run two miles in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. How? One, the simple answer is yes, it's bad. My, uh, my top team that I ever ran was, we had a 5K, it was up a bunch of hills, it was, um, I were on a college campus, and I was 175, no, I was pounds. And I ran it in 23 minutes, five minutes. Uh, 
He ran two miles in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. He ran... Because I had this guy at 14 in my last mock, and the only reason I moved him down to the second round is we don't know how the medicals are, because there's a report that he declined an invite to the MLS College Showcase. So that's the only reason I have this guy in the second round. I think he's a first-round talent. The, the kicking power, the kicking accuracy on tape shows that, and if he's that fast, he can run five a mile in five minutes, 40 seconds. He's that fast. It's like, you know... The Galaxy have two international slots. They have nothing to lose by taking Spicer after getting rid of their striker, Chicho Hernandez. And Spicer's a good player for them to build their team around. I mean, it's a guy I had at 14 in the last month. It's impressive. Yep. Dylan Crop ends up going to Austin FC at 34. He can play the four or the five at sweeper or center back. 27th underclassman. He shows flashes of first round ability. He's improved each season, but he hasn't dominated in his two seasons and had one assist, helped Xavier get eight shutouts. Three assists helped Xavier get nine shutouts. Domestic Morn player will not require international slot, but this 19, 20-year-old sophomore is a developmental player. Austin FC can either bring him to MLS next or they can keep him in college. And honestly, I'd probably keep him in college for a year, bring him to MLS next in 2025, and then if he's still on the team by then, you can give him a shot in 2026 if you have the patience to see it through because this guy's only 19 or 20 years old. And if you develop him until he's 22 or 23, you develop him in college for another year, then you develop him in MLS next for a year, he'll be 22 or 23, you can bring him up to the pros at that point, but you got to be patient and stay the course if you don't think he's MLS ready now because, I mean, these are impressive numbers. Eight shutouts as a freshman, nine as a sophomore after the goalie leaves. Won't require international slot. I think he's worth gambling on at this point in round two, but remember... The new rules, you can keep a player in college or you can sign them. Ruben Masales, the left winger at Duke, versatile enough to play left back, right back, defensive midfielder, right winger, and left winger, can play five different positions. Former midfielder for IMG Academy, a powerhouse high school, had four goals, four assists, six shutouts, played 1,340 minutes, also went to the MLS College Showcase, and you can let him play a senior year at Duke and then sign him in 2024 from a flexibility standpoint. DC United gets Elliot Goldthorpe, the midfielder from Hofstra, who had 17 goals, 6 assists, 40 points. This year he had 8 goals, 15 assists, 31 points. 
He started 21 out of 22 games. Hofstra made the Sweet 16. Goldthorpe took 74 shots in 2022, 67 shots in 2023. He's also got 62 career shots on goal and 11 game-winning goals. A junior underclassman who can play the 8 at central midfielder or the 10 at attacking midfielder, but he's an underclassman from the United Kingdom in Leeds. And Elliot Goldthorpe, the Hofstra midfielder, is a nice pick for um, DC United here at this spot. But, you know, I've... I, I this this MLS draft is 87 picks and believe me I do not have all 87 picks up. Um Real Salt Lake is a third pick at 37. Their left back's 33. I went with Kevin Bonilla, the 22-year-old fullback from the Portland Pilots. He he was good against Pittsburgh. I mean, he helped Portland get 10 shutouts before losing to Pitt in the quarterfinals of the 2022 College Cup. As a sophomore redshirt, this year he moved from left back to right back. One goal, 10 assists, 12 points, 8 shutouts as a junior redshirt. Versatility to play both fullback spots. And FC Dallas has decided they're not going to sign him to a homegrown deal. So he is eligible for the MLS draft. And, you know, 5'8", 158, not ideal size, but too talented to fall out of the top 40. Junior redshirt. 38, Kalani Casarienzi. Okay, yeah. Now, here's the thought process for you. If the NFL had homegrown deals, how darn good would the Bengals and Browns have been over the years? Yeah, because Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey are both from New Heights, Ohio. So they'd be Browns homegrowns, both of them. I, be I believe both of them would be homegrowns if we applied that rule. To the NFL. Patrick Mahomes would be a Dallas Cowboy under the homegrown rules. Yes. Um, Josh Allen would be a 49er under this uh, homegrown rule. Uh, it's crazy. Brock Purdy would be a Cardinal under this. Yeah, that's probably not a good thing to joke about with the Cardinals and Niners playing tomorrow, but yes. Um, I have... Ke <laughs> um, I have Charlotte FC taking Kalani Casarienzi, a defensive midfielder from Washington who can play the 6 at defensive midfielder, the 8 at central, or the 3 at right back. Four-year starter, but a junior redshirt for the Washington Huskies. College Soccer News has him listed in their top four, but he ended up falling the second round. Washington's one of those teams that dominated in 2021 and in 2022, but they just hit a cliff and took a step back in 2023. I think Kalani Casarienzi, with the 38th pick, Charlotte FC traded away one of their veterans to get the 38th pick in the MLS draft. So they now own this pick from Nashville, which is Minnesota's second-round pick. So I went Kalani Casarienzi. Montreal gets Trace Alfin, a 21-year-old goalie from Wake Forest. Uh, I've said it for three years, Wake, that Montreal needs goalie depth. I've mocked a goalie to Montreal for like the third year in a row. His learning curve is similar to Patrick Schultz, but he's not as advanced as Schultz was coming out of St. Louis, 32nd underclassman. Jaden Hibbert, goalie Connecticut. 20, he's a 19-year-old goalie on the Connecticut Huskies. He doubled his shutout total from 2 to 4. But, you know, 
still a project, 172 goals against average as a freshman, now 127, improved his saves from 15 to 17, um, went 4-2 and two as a starter in 2022 in six starts, 7-6 and six in 2023. I love the intensity Jaden Hibbert plays with on film. He will do whatever it takes to protect the soccer ball, even if it means tackling a defender like a linebacker and knocking that defender on their rear end. The 19-year-old goalie has the ceiling to develop into Connecticut's best goalie since Andre Blake if he can channel that level of play, but that's the big if. Can he channel that intensity? The problem is he's so domineering... He got a red card in Connecticut's regular season finale, which cost him a chance to start in the Big East tournament. Jaden Hibbert's rawer than Alpin. He's rawer than Brian Dowd. But if he can put everything together and if you could fix him over a two-year period, he could develop into a better goalie than both Dowd and Alpin. Portland wouldn't have to sign Hibbert until... December 31st, 2025, under the new MLS draft rules, they can develop him. They can they can take a luxury pick on Jaden Hibbert with no domestic strikers on the board. They can take a flyer on Hibbert here, and maybe it works out. Um, 41, one of my favorite seniors in the draft, Patty Burns, left back Notre Dame. 22-year-old left back, had five goals, 10 points in 2022 this year, three goals, one assist, seven points, helped Notre Dame record 10 shutouts. And Patty Burns, he has a relentless motor. And the other thing I like about Patty Burns is, you know, he, he, he's not afraid to call out teammates and challenge them to get better. He, he, even if it means cussing at them when they miss assignments by giving the younger guys less experienced defenders tough love. Any other MLS Super Draft, Patty Burns is a first-round player. And the more I talk about Patty Burns, the more I'm pissing Joey off by not putting him in my top 40. Because it's a guy with great leadership traits. Senior left back, helped Notre Dame get 10 shutouts in 2023. Did the same thing in 2021 as well. Very consistent player. But it's like he turns 23 in January. And in any other MLS Draft, he's a first-rounder. But in this draft, with all these underclassmen, he falls outside of the top 40. And he's a good player. If you're looking for a veteran that can fire up your team in the Super Draft, Patty Burns is one of the best finds you'll get. Um, Andrew Johnson, the Cornell sophomore, is the player I mocked to San Jose at 42. 43 New York Red Bulls. I went with an attacking midfielder. Ask Eckland, attacking midfielder for the Duquesne Dukes. Eight goals, one assist, 17 points as a freshman at Duquesne. Actually scored on the Pitt Panthers defense as a true freshman when Duquesne played Pitt, getting by Jackson Walty during his senior year. Ask Eckland had 12 goals, three assists, 27 points. He was the Atlantic 10. He was the Atlantic 10 midfielder of the year. Yes, so, I mean, and, you know, he had a hat trick against Virginia Tech. AC, if you're an Atlantic team, Atlantic 10 team like Duquesne and you're scoring a hat trick against an ACC team, that's going to get my attention. Worst case scenario, 
Eklund remains at Duquesne, or he plays in MLS Next for two years and doesn't sign with the Red Bulls until 2025, because best case scenario, he ends up on the Red Bulls at some point this year, since they need an immediate upgrade at attacking midfielder. And he doesn't turn 21 until April, and he grew up playing soccer in Norway. So ask Eklund, one of these late risers, 6'3", 180, pretty big attacking midfielder, FC Dallas went with Vincent Benage of Davidson. He can play the 7 at right wing, the 8 at central mid, the 9 at striker, 10 at attacking midfielder, 11 at left winger. Jack of all trades, Swiss Army knife on offense. 7 goals, 0 assists, 14 points as a freshman. This year he had 7 goals, 5 assists, 19 points. Mainly an offensive forward, but he can steal the ball from opposing defenders to create scoring chances by passing or shooting the soccer ball. 36th underclassman. And the final player to crack... My final player to crack my top 45. This is all you're getting on Draft Utopia, folks, because we got to get to NFL predictions before one. Um, Jacob Abali, forward Portland. Um, Portland has all 11 starters coming back. They brought back Blackman despite trading their first-round pick away. So they can go with the best player on their board. And maybe Jacob Abali, who took a photo with Vancouver Whitecaps co-owner Steve Nash, will be the pick here. But he's a good player. 12 goals, 4 assists, 28 points as a junior redshirt. So that is the last pick I updated. Um... And I, I've got to go through this after the podcast. You can go to draftutopia.com slash 2024mlsmockdraft.html to read the whole thing. But 87 total picks. I've got 45 of them typed for Tuesday. So I'm going to end that segment on Anchor. And then we will get into our NFL predictions for this week. Um, everybody except for the Frog picked the Raiders to win. Kerm picked the Chargers. He had a, um, he had a, what should I say? He had a, uh, Brandon Staley moment, I guess. Trying to say the right thing without being too hard on him. But Kerm is still a hundred times more competent than Brandon Staley. So in Kerm's defense, he is still a hundred times more competent than Brandon Staley. Even though he got... So, 
But the Brandon Bailey guy, he's been there a couple years. You know what Brandon Bailey is. And he's still doing that. It's not like he's a first-year coach or the first year with a team or anything. He's been there. He should be able to do a better job of compensating for Justin Herbert going down than he did. So, that, so it's basically just confirmed that what everybody else thought. That he's just not Yes. Right. You know, Brandon Staley could apply for a job with San Diego FC. They are the team set to join the MLS next year as an expansion team. Maybe they will hire... Um, I, Dean Spanos does not own them, so maybe they'll hire Brandon Staley. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's awful, especially after how dirty Spanos did the Chargers. That was not appropriate for me to say. Well, I mean... Place where they only give up 10 games. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but Chris, that's something you always have to look forward to. That no matter how bad you are, I am just that much worse. Um, but yeah, um, the Vikings play the Bengals. We'll get to the predictions for this game. Um, Dobbs is getting benched. Nick Mullins is getting the start. And Brian O'Neill, he did suffer a season-ending injury against the Raiders. It's apparently a torn ACL, but a Brian O'Neill's out for the year at right tackle. Um, Risner almost sat out the game. Jefferson got injured in Week 14, but fully practiced. He will play in this game. Um, Madison did not practice. I think Madison's out at running back. So, you know, I think the Vikings do have a good defense. Harrison Phillips, Bullard, Jacqueline Roy, Tonga. If Marcus Davenport is back, then the Vikings can steal this game today on NFL Network. But if he's not, then I just think the Bengals are going to find a way to win, even without Burrow. Um, you know, like... Well, Chris, you have to realize that the only reason the Vikings traded for Josh Dobbs was because Nick Mullen was on the IR at the time. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, misconstrued me as saying John Dobbs was going to be their savior. I don't, he wasn't going to be their savior. He was a good option at the time. But something, if anybody listens to this podcast over the years, knows. I mean, Nick Mullen's thing. I really like Nick Mullen. Uh, I like the way he played when he was in Cleveland. I like the way he played when he was in San Francisco and got a chance. Uh, I think he played for the Raiders as well. He played pretty well there. Yeah. And even though the even though. So, I do like the Vikings cornerbacks. The Vikings, they have some good cornerbacks. Byron Murphy, they have Makai um, Blackman. A Caleb Evans, and they have Andrew Booth Jr. as their number four. But the Bengals are one team that has more receiver depth than the Vikings do depth at corner. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Trenton Irwin, Charlie Jones, who's back from an injury, Trent Taylor, 
um, I don't know if Trent Taylor's still in the roster. He may have got cut. Andre Iosivis. The Bengals are 6-7 deep at receiver. It really, even though the Vikings have good corners, the Bengals just have too much depth at receiver. They're going to wear the Vikings out over time. Um, and the Bengals' defense is fully healthy, too. Hendricks and Hubbard are playing. Reeder and Hill are playing. Pratt and Logan Wilson are playing. Cam Taylor-Britt, DJ Turner, Mike Hilton, um, Awuzie are all healthy. Awuzie got demoted to dime corner after uh, DJ Turner took the number two cornerback job from Awuzie, but it's like, you know, the, the Bengals have really good cornerback depth, and, you know, they do. The Bengals have really good cornerback depth when all their guys are healthy. I, I think both of these teams have really good depth, and I think there are two of the few teams that are still in the playoff hunt that have not just been absolutely captivated. And the, the Bengals have um, Nick Scott, Daxton Hill as their starters, with Jordan Battle and Tyson Anderson as their backups. The Bengals just have more safety depth. And they have Mc, Evan McPherson. I've got the Bengals winning by 10, 27-17. The over-under is 40. Take the over. I think there's going to be a lot of overs this week. I said it on the podcast. I've said it on the predictions page, draftytopycom slash NFL predictions week 15. I told everybody to take the Raiders and the over. My final score for that game was... Raiders 24, Chargers 13. The over-under was 33.5. Even with the Chargers' offense, I still told people to bet the over. I told people to bet the over because the Raiders cut Marcus Peters. Most people took the under with the over-under at 33.5 with Easton Stick, Aiden O'Connell. Most casuals took the under. I told people to take the over, and the over occurred. But well, hell, the, well, the Raiders beat the over by themselves. In the first half. That should tell you how effective Brandon Staley's defense is. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've turned this from the Raiders' accomplishment into the roast of Brandon Staley. He deserved it. He deserved that type of roast. I mean, it was, it's just, he's not a good head coach. I've been a good coordinator, he's not a good head coach. Yeah. But yes, I'm taking the over for the second game in a row, Joey. Over-under is 40. I like the Bengals 27-17. I think the Bengals win this by double digits. It's close until the fourth quarter, but the Bengals' depth at receiver allows them to pull away at the end. And they get a touchdown in the 12-minute mark to go up by 10, and then they run the clock out from there. I think you and Orrin were the only Draft Utopia members to take the Vikings. If you'd like me to change your pick, the Bengals on the site, I can do that. And if you want to make your case for the Vikings winning, you have the floor. Yeah, I, I think the Vikings, the big thing the Vikings are going to have to take advantage of when this game is something I believe they can take advantage of. And that is, they have a really good defensive line, they have some depth on that defensive line, they have a really nice pass rush. The Bengals offensive line hold is starting to come together better than it did last uh, early in the season. They are still susceptible to a good pass rush. And even though the Bengals quarterbacking situation is better than we thought it was, or would be, at least so far, I think if the Vikings 
get the runs. They can force some bad decisions, and then we can see those corners and safeties who are pretty good, pretty athletic. If Marcus Davenport is playing and Orlando Brown Jr. is out, that would be enough for me to switch to the Vikings. But I think Davenport's still out another week, and I think Brown ends up playing, so that's why I've got the Bengals winning. But to your point, it's that close of a game. Don't discount. Yeah, and also, don't discount Nick Mullins. He's a big quarterback. Expect him to make a couple big throws with his arm. Okay. So... Think Greg Jones is a top ten kicker? I think Greg Jones is a top ten kicker, but you could say the same argument about McPherson. Yeah, top ten game ends up being Vikings 18, Bengals 17, and the Vikings make like six field goals. And it's one of those games where uh, Urinating Tree and Tom Grossi are watching it together, and, and Tom's excited that the Bengals are going to beat the Vikings, and then uh, Tree brings up the fact that Greg Joseph made six field goals just to try to piss off Tom as a joke. What if it turns out to be that type of game? <laughs> I'm not saying it'll be that type of game. I just think it'd be the reaction would be hilarious if that was the stream and that was the result of the game. Yeah. I, I agree. That would be amazing. Uh, but remember, I am very aware of Rick Jason because he was brought in by the Browns. He had a very strong leg, but traditionally throughout his career, he has been inconsistent. He goes on long runs of making everything. But you'll miss some as well. So I'm I am very aware of the Vikings kicker and how good he is. He has developed very well and I am, you know, and I'm you know, I say congratulations. You have done a great job with your career. You will be in Minnesota for many years. Hopefully. But you're The next game is the 4.30 game on NFL Network. Bengals-Vikings is at 1, but the 4.25, 4.30 game is Steelers-Colts. I do have the Colts winning. This was tough because I wanted to pick the Steelers, but 
If Trubisky's starting for Pickett, I'm taking the Colts all day. Um, Sumalo is out at left guard. He missed week 14. He's going to be out in week 15 as well. I mean, Barmore was able to win some one-on-ones with Sumalo out at left guard. Godshow was able to win some one-on-ones as well. And DeForest Buckner is a lot tougher compared to the Patriots' defensive tackles that exploited Pittsburgh's backup left guard with Sumalo out of the lineup. Also, Grover Stewart, this is his second game back from a suspension. So you got this indie defensive line at full health. Um, not only that, the Colts also get Julius Brents, their number one cornerback, back. High Smith and Water playing, but they're both going to be less than 100%. Braden Smith is out for the Colts, so Blake Freeland will get the start. I think the Colts win this game, Joey, but this is going to be a game, low-scoring game. This is going to be a game where the number one corners dominate. I think it's going to be a game where the two rookie corners, Julius Brents, the Colts' 2023 second-round pick out of Kansas State, and Joey Porter Jr., the Steelers' 2023 second-round pick out of Penn State, both shine. This is going to be a Julius Brents versus uh, Joey Porter Jr. chess match. Brents is going to shut down Pickens, and Joey Porter Jr. is going to shut down Michael, po- Michael um, Pittman Jr., so that leaves Josh Downs versus Levi Wallace or Peterson. And it leaves Deontay Johnson versus the Colts' number two corner. I have more confidence in Downs than I do in Deontay Johnson in that situation. I have the Colts winning 16-14. Tanya's picking the Steelers to win with Trubisky. And Brian Bayless is taking the Steelers to... He's picking the Steelers to win, but he's, he's picking the Steelers to bench Mason Rudolph and bench Mitchell Trubisky and start Mason Rudolph in the second half, and they come back to win with Mason Rudolph. Now, that would be hilarious if that actually happened. It's like, the Trubisky plays so bad, he gets benched for Mason Rudolph, and then the Steelers come back to win in classic Steeler fashion. That would just be the most classic way for this game to end. <laughs> it's, I'm, not, I'm not ruling out that possibility, but I think it's extremely unlikely. Outside of Brian and Tanya... The rest of our staff has the Colts winning at home. Um, but yeah, I do think this is going to be a low-scoring game. I think the quarterbacks are going to be the storyline in this game. Brents and um, Joey Porter Jr., the two rookie corners, they're going to be the storyline in this game. And I think the Colts, with Ekubom, Deo Yingbo, Grover Stewart, Taekwon Lewis, Taven Bryan, with all the depth in this defensive line... I think Trubisky's going to do worse in this game than he did against the Patriots, which is pretty hard to do after how poorly he played against the Patriots. Because this defensive line's going to give him less time in the pocket. Now the corners are now the Colts do have a weakness at number two corner with Dallas Flowers injured. But with the number one corner Julius Brents back, I think the Colts are going to be able to shut down Pittsburgh. So I'm going Colts 16, Steelers 14. Matt Gage hits a game-winning field goal at the end. Colts win 16-14 in a very tight defensive game. Taylor's out too. Because it's a really difficult game to go with because of the quarterback situation, but my big thing was, I think the Colts, they have more playmakers and receivers, 
which can take advantage of a thin, a good but thin cornerback room for the Steelers. And I also think they have to be better in one game. So while the Steelers defense is still really good, and I do like the defense, I'm looking at this as the big time player for the Colts on offense may be able to take advantage of the outside and which will spread it over for that really good running game that the Colts bring to the table. Yeah, and even without Jonathan Taylor, you still have Zach Moss, and Pittsburgh's just depleted at 34 middle linebackers. So it's like, you know, that's the reason why. Now, they do have Montrevious Adams back, so they don't have to play Keanu Benton every down like they have had to the last few weeks when Adams is injured. And I do think that'll make this game more interesting, and it'll, it'll limit the Colts' ability to dominate offensively. But I still think the Colts have too much talent to win this game. The depth chart favors them, the coaching favors them, the crowd favors them. Agreed. Uh, next, next game is the Broncos and the Lions in Detroit. I did not submit a bull pick'em pool in time to Jason Bannell's pool, but that's okay. I got other stuff I got to do this year, and, you know... That's that's on me. So Broncos and Lions here. I'm looking at the Broncos and Lions. Um, why are the Broncos going to win? Why are the Lions going to win? Because this is the first game Joey and I disagree on this week. I did take the Broncos to lose to Detroit, but this was a tough game to pick because... Nick Bonino is out for Denver, and if Nick Bonino is out, Bar Baron Browning and Jonathan Cooper are going to have to get pressure on Jared Goff in this one. I do think Judy and Sutton can beat Detroit. Those two can beat Detroit, and Devontae Williams can run the ball. Now, Lee McNeil got injured. That's the big injury. Zach Allen, DJ Jones, Jonathan Harris uh, you, are a really good 34 defensive line, and... Even with uh, Bonito injured, you still have Baron Browning off the pup list. You have Singleton, Jewel. Just, you have Drew Sanders for depth. You don't need to use him. But you have Sertan and Mathis. I think the Lions have their offensive line back at full health. They have Ragno. They have Glasgow. If their starters are cleared to play, I think they are going to be the team to beat. And, you know... Last week, Glasgow missed week 14, but, you know, they tie played right guard. They got the, they, they struggled. Without Frank Ragno in the lineup, they could not beat the Chicago Bears. And Bannell pivoted to, from the Lions to the Bears, and that was a brilliant pivot by Jason Bannell. I'll give him credit when credit is due. But the Lions, they have Montgomery, they have Gibbs. I think they're going to try to run the ball. Pascal's back from an injury. I know Ali McNeil got injured on Thanksgiving, which has made it easier to run block against the Lions, especially if you have a fully healthy offensive line. You have Anzalone at weak side. You have Campbell at Mike. Um, 
You've got Julian O'Quara for depth. You've got Charles Harris in a Hassan Reddick type role. You have James Houston the fourth. If you have Malcolm Rodriguez, Jalen Reeves, Maben, Derek Barnes, it just doesn't matter who the Lions plug in at linebacker personnel wise. And if Campbell's not healthy, you can move on Zaloni to Mike linebacker. But Campbell's been healthy this year, which allows the Lions to just keep rotating bodies while Campbell plays every down at Mike linebacker. And the Lions' ability to rotate those bodies is why this defense is so tough. You have Sutton, you have Jerry Jacobs, Brian Branch are your top three corners. You have Will Harris and Chase Lucas as your top five corners. Um, Mosley suffered a season-ending injury, but, you know, you look at C.J. Gardner-Johnson is out for the year. There are some rumors he could come back for the playoffs. That's really Detroit's only season-ending injury. And if he comes back, this is a different Lions team. Walker and Kirby Joseph have done well at safety. I do have the over in this one. The over-under is 47.5. I'm going Lions 28, Broncos 21. High-scoring game. Um, this is a 5-4 split decision. Six of our staff members like the Lions, Lisa West, Jason, or Tanya, myself, you, Kerm, Brian, Tracy, and Jesse have the Broncos winning. But this was a tougher game to pick. And, you know, if Wilson wins the turnover battle and Goff doesn't, then the Broncos can steal this game. And that's probably part of the thought process. Not all of it, but part of the thought process in picking Denver. Yeah, and this is the thing with Denver right now. The reason they are winning so, so much, even though they didn't win last week, the reason they're winning so much, two things. Russell Wilson is playing like he's 25 again. They're getting turnovers. When they get turnovers, yeah, it's, I would say the biggest reason they need the Browns to get turnovers. The biggest reason they want the previous three games before that, turnovers. The reason they'll win this game, turnovers. Jared Goff has been a turnover team. He has not made good decisions in the last couple of weeks. Why? I don't know. But it's really one of the big reasons for the choice of kids. If golf comes all over twice, Broncos should walk away for me. Turn over once, Broncos should win. If he doesn't turn over at all, if he won't turn over, that's when the Lions win. But I don't think he's going to. I think the Broncos are going to score at least one turnover, maybe two. And in that case, the Broncos are going to get back to the winning ways. Next game is the Falcons and Panthers. Um, this is my first upset. Yeah, I am actually for the sec. I am picking the Carolina Panthers. They they have all their corners at full health. Falcons. Um, Terrell barely cleared concussion protocol this week, and Atlanta's had some injuries on defense. They don't have Grady Jarrett. Um, Okuda was out in Week 14, but he was a full practice on Wednesday leading up to Week 15. So if Terrell and Okuda are not both 100%, I don't think the Falcons win this. And I, everybody else on the site has the Falcons beating the Panthers, by the way. I am the one person bold enough and audacious enough to pick the Panthers. I'm going Carolina 28, Atlanta 20. Everybody else has the Falcons winning, but I've got the Panthers winning their second game of the year at home. I mean, the Falcons have a ton of injuries on the offensive line, too. 
The Falcons have a ton of injuries on the offensive line, Joey, and I'd like to point out the injuries before you rebuttal. Jake Matthews didn't practice. Okay. Chris Lindstrom didn't practice. Caleb McGarry didn't practice. So the Falcons left tackle, their right guard and right tackle didn't practice, and their center, Drew Dahlman, missed week 14. So if, all, if those four offensive linemen are all out and Brian Burns steps up, the Panthers have a chance. Do they have a good chance? No, but they have a chance to steal. If all four of those linemen are inactive, the Panthers have a chance to steal. That's my argument. 28-20 Carolina. Go ahead. Feel free to rebuttal. Dave Tepper's teams traded up for the number one pick in the draft. Charlotte FC trades up for Hamidi Diop. He looks like a bust. Carolina trades up for Bryce Young. He looks like a bust. It's the same story, considering that... And neither team is a first-round pick in 2024. So... Charlotte FC, if they had stayed at 20 and picked Pitt midfielder Valentin Noel, they would have had the MLS Next MVP, MLS Next Championship MVP in their farm system and additional 400k in allocation money they can spend on free agency. Now, the Panthers would have had CJ Stroud and they taken so Charlotte FC misses out on the MLS Next MVP and the Panthers miss out on the rookie of the year. Dave Tepper. So, yeah, so I think even as depleted as the Falcons are, they're still better in Carolina. And there's no relief in sight because. Maybe, but I also feel like the NFL is going to help the Panthers win this game, even with lousy officiating, because it's like 
the Panthers, the NFL needs the Panthers to win a game. If the Bears clinch the number one pick in the draft, fine. But the NFL needs the Panthers to at least win a second game to keep the race for the number one pick interesting. They don't care if the Bears win the number one pick, but they need that race for the number one pick to remain interesting. And the only way that happens is if the Panthers win. Even if they get bailed out by the officials and every bad call goes against the Falcons. Which I wouldn't bet against, but at the same time, it's like... Panthers just have been that inconsistent all year. So, I don't blame the... I mean, they would have to bring, they have to bring out every single player that they have. Every player that they have. Every That's interesting. I just got a text from Jordan Babington, my Marshall soccer insider. He told me that Bell took a huge gamble on his professional career. Supposedly, he banked on his MLS career and flunked out of Marshall by failing his classes this semester. I don't know if that's true or not, but if that is, does that make you revisit the decision to draft him at five if, he flunked, if a player flunked his classes? Is that a player you want to draft with a top five pick? Because it's like... That's a big development if that's true. I don't know if it is. I hope it's not true. I hope it's bullshit. But I'm just reporting what I'm hearing, Joey. Well, yeah, probably isn't. Because if Bell's hearing this, he'll get pissed. And we interviewed a Marshall player last year, so it's like, I don't know what the truth is. You know... Oh, it's because I'm burning bridges. I'm throwing my sources under the bus. Okay, that's... Okay, so sources have to remain unnamed. I did not know that was an unwritten rule. Thank you for... Uh, I should know that. For somebody who's in this industry, I should know that. But it's like... Okay. But yeah. Alright, looking at this Bears-Browns game, we'll pivot to that. Because if we pivot to that, then people will forget about this whole Marshall thing. They will. Especially with how long Joey's Browns rants are. I I know the Bears did lose Yannick. They still have Montez Sweat, their leading sack artist. And they have Demarcus Walker, who goes from being a rotational edge to a starting edge. You have Justin Jones. You have Billings. You have, Gro you have Dominique Robinson for depth. You have... Rasheem Green as a depth defensive end. You have Dexter and Zach Pickens as your defensive tackles for depth. I love the Bears as far as the Bears go outside of the injury to Yannick. It's a season-ending injury. They're pretty healthy for the most part. And, you know, the Browns have a ton of injuries in the offensive line. Three tackles out for the year. Nick Chubb out for the year. Deshaun Watson out for the year. Um, 
I do think the Browns can win this game, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, they're getting Denzel Ward back, but if Juan Thornhill is out after Delpit got placed on IR, they don't have any safeties that can contain Cole Met. I, I'm not sold on A.J. Green III or Mike Ford. I called both of those guys warm bodies with no business on any NFL roster. And while you may disagree with me on that, it's like, that's my opinion, and that's kind of where I'm set on that. So it's like the Bears, I like the Bears 24-20. But I'm not the only one who picked the Bears. Oren took the Bears, the rest of our staff has the Browns winning, despite all the injuries that the Browns have dealt with on offense. Everybody else is taking the Browns. Um, I think it's going to be close. Uh, a lot closer than it would have been a week ago because of the injuries. Uh, the good thing, though, is I can't solve... The Bears beat a Detroit team that is healthier than this Browns team. And I think Cole Met can exploit that safety matchup. That's really the big reason I'm taking the Bears. But the Bears are going to have to earn this win. They're going to have to fight the Browns tooth and nail to get this win. And if they get this win, they'll have two home games against Atlanta and Arizona. They'll probably win both of those games and be 8-8 eight and eight with a game against the Packers in Week 18 with a potential playoff spot on the line at Lambeau Field. So... Well, I'm, I'm not worried about the for the Browns because they have shown... They showed last week that they could still, they made a couple mistakes, young guys, one rookie, um, that they made some mistakes when it comes to uh, being able to keep up with different routes. But overall, they held their own when they were at the company. What I'm looking at that I'm worried about defensively is the defensive line. The Browns have over a quarter of their salary cap on the injured reserve. That's horrific for any who have $21 million sitting at home. Uh, that's horrific. The big problems I'm finding with the Bears on this, I don't think anybody's really looking at is that the Bears, before getting Montez Sweat, were horrific in their package. That's because they only had not play. If they had better pass rushers, then they would have been more than one really good pass rusher. They would have been higher than I think they were like 30th or 31st before Sweat. And they got much better with Sweat and Ngongway paired up. Now, you're back to having one. So that pass rush is not going to be as pleasant as it was the last four or five weeks. And say what you will about Joe Flacco, or whatever you want. Uh, I know everybody's got a thing. Um, one good thing that Flacco has done, he has shown that he's been in the place for 18 years. He's written the defense, he's taken what they're giving him, and if you give him a clean pocket, he's going to be there. 
Now, the last couple of weeks has been, as you mentioned, with the awful attack of situation. Clean pockets is not exactly something that the Browns have. I mean, the Browns played a second-team Jaguars secondary. Outside of Darius Williams, that's a second-team secondary. With the injuries to strong safety, with the injuries to strong safety, um, Rayshon Jenkins and free safety, Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell inactive, that's a second-team secondary. I'm sorry, Joey, but that's a second-team well, secondary. Well, I would say the same thing about Trevor Moore. Because they literally played the Browns second but the Bears secondary looked incredible versus Detroit. Jalen Johnson's come into his own as a number one corner. You have you have Tyreek Stevenson. You have Terrell Smith, your fifth round pick out of Minnesota. You have Kyler Gordon. Jaquan Brisker at a career high 17 tackles. Now Joku's not going to pull off the magic he did last week against uh, Brisker. And you also have Eddie Jackson at free safety, so it's like, I think the Bears' secondary has played a lot better the last few weeks. They're on a hot streak, and Flacco's going to have to come out and make a statement early if he wants to end that momentum that the secondary for the Bears has. Well, I'm not going to take anything away from the Bears' defense. All I'm saying is, their pass rush is not going to be what people think. Because the staff I like DeMarcus Walker more than James Hudson coming out of the draft, but you can make the argument that Hudson's more reliable, even with the injuries at offensive tackle. But I think Walker's going to win that matchup, which is part of the re win some matchups, which is part of the reason why I took the Bears. You know, but we'll see what happens. This could honestly go either way. Well, the thing with Walker and Hudson is that Hudson has always proved to be a star in this way, but Hudson doesn't have to be here. Hudson jumped outside. Hudson missed the And that's what causes the problem for getting Hudson. And that's why he's gotten so much limited action with the Browns this year, Joey, because he made so many mental errors at Cincinnati, and that's continued. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that he's enough. He's athletic enough to be the guy, but he made so many mental miscues at Cincinnati. He got ejected for targeting against Aziz Ojolari in his bowl game. So... so. He's a nice guy, he's an athletic guy, he's a good guy, he's not a smart guy. Yes. Okay, that's, so, you know, you know what, I think it, I think it's going to be And I love Sweat against Christian. That's why I say this is a defensive game, but I do like the over because Fields has been better the last few weeks and it's gonna come I think it's gonna come down to officiating. But I don't know what direction Brad Allen's leaning. The Bears are two and nine games called by Brad Allen, they're two and eight in Browns games called by Brad Allen. Brad Allen Dislikes both of these teams to the point where if a fan in a Batman costume decided to run onto First Energy Stadium, if Antonio Brown decided to dress up in a Batman costume, run onto First Energy Stadium, and steal the football, Bill 
Brad Allen would rule a touchdown in favor of uh, Antonio Brown in a Batman costume. He would. That's how much Brad Allen dislikes both of these teams. That if Antonio Brown decided to go to First Energy Stadium undercover as Batman, steal the football, and run into the end zone, Brad Allen would award Batman the victory and give both teams a loss, if he could. But then we get to see Anto we, then we get to see Miles Garrett tackle Antonio Brown, tackle the guy in the Batman costume. We find out it's Antonio Brown, and he gets arrested and thrown out of the stadium, which would be honestly kind of epic at the same time too. Even though I don't want Antonio Brown to do something dumb, Antonio, if you're listening to this podcast, please do the opposite of what I'm suggesting, please. You can roast me, you can call me an idiot, you can call me a dumbass on your Twitter space, but it's like, please, do not do this. Do not listen to, do not dress up in a Batman costume and run out of the field for a touchdown to ruin the game for the fan experience. I do agree with you. I do agree with you that it's going to be uh, a close game. Uh, I do agree with you that the Brad Allen Bowl is not calling it at this point. Uh, but I don't think, I think it's Agreed entirely. So Yes, and Buccaneers and Packers is the next game. Tony Mario has the um, power rankings updated. He put the Niners at number one, the Cowboys at two, the Ravens are third, the Lions are fourth. I don't think the Lions are the fourth best team in the league after the debunk, after the uh, debacle. I do agree an NFC team will win the Super Bowl, but I would not put the Lions at four in the power rankings. I'd probably put the Eagles at four ahead of the Lions. Chiefs are six. Uh, uh, Dolphins 7, Jaguars 8. He has the Vikings at 9? I'm sorry, but he has the Vikings ahead of the Browns in his power rankings. I'm sorry, Tony, but you cannot do that. If you want to put the Bills at 9 or the Texans or Broncos at 9, fine. But it's like the Vikings? Really? You got the Vikings at 9, man. I disagree with this strongly. Here's a stat for you. If you didn't know... 
I would probably put the Bills at 9 and the Browns at 10. I'd probably put the Vikings, you could argue, anywhere. I'd put, probably put the Texans at 11, and then I think you could argue whatever after that. And he has the Vikings ahead of the Bills and the Browns. And it's like, really? I'm sorry, but I disagree on that. He has the Steelers at 26 below the Bears. This is even a bigger shocker. Tony Mario is the Steelers in the bottom 10. He has the Steelers at 7th worst team in the league. That's a surprise. Okay. Buccaneers, Packers. Um, this is the first lock on the site. Spoiler alert. Um, I, the pa I do have the Packers winning. Even with the injuries to Christian Watson, I do have the Packers winning. Because they are getting some key guys back in the secondary. Not only is Jair Alexander going to be back at corner... Eric Stokes, their number two corner, going to be back for the first time since week seven. He played four plays in that game, went back on IR. So they're going to have Stokes, they're going to have Jair Alexander, and they're going to have Carrington Valentin or Keyshawn Nixon in the nickel. I love the Packers in this one. I think the Packers are going to win by double digits. I've got the Packers winning 28-17. I've got Baker Mayfield throwing three interceptions in this one, but getting a touchdown with White getting a rushing touchdown as well. So, yeah. I've got Baker throwing one touchdown and three interceptions in this one because of the secondary back. I know that's kind of a bold prediction to make. I hope Baker makes me look like an idiot and makes this competitive, makes this a one-score game, makes this close enough to where the pack Buccaneers can cover the spread. But, like, I just don't think that's going to happen. Everybody else has the Packers. Anything you want to add to this before I get to the Jets Dolphins game? No, the, I just think that the I like the Jets defense. Uh, and the I heard. I think uh, the uh, Jets are going to cover. The Dolphins are favored. The Dolphins are favored by a ridiculous thirteen and a half points. But I think the Jets are going to cover. I think it's going to be a one-score game. I have the Dolphins winning, Joey, but I think the Jets are going to cover the spread. It's like the Connor Williams is out for the year at center. That is roadkill for Quinn Williams at defensive tackle. Also, Tyreek Hill is questionable. The Dolphins just don't have a good number one tight end after moving on from Gasecki. I think the Jets, and the Jets get Aaron Rodgers back next week. This is Zach Wilson's final start. Because Zach Will says Aaron Rodgers is coming back next week, and he wants to show the coaches why they were wrong for benching him. So I do think he avoids turnovers, but he only throws for like 214 yards, and it's not enough for the Jets to win. I have the Dolphins winning 19-14, but I have the Jets covering the spread. Dolphins are at minus 13 and a half. Take the points. Take the points. I don't remember the exact Tua Tagovailoa was awful against the Titans' corners without Tyreek Hill. He's got a, if he's got to face Sauce Gardner without Tyreek Hill, 
How ugly can this game get? Like, honestly. It really begs the question. So, I'm going 19-14 Dolphins, but I think the Jets are going to cover the spread. Joey's the only member of the site who took the Jets to win straight up. Um, you you want to break down why you took the Jets to win? Because I've pretty much said everything I want to say with the um, Dolphins. Yeah, the uh, Wayne and I come from Quinn, uh, Tyler Hill as a as a player, Tua Tagovailoa is bottom half NFL in quarterback at quarterback in every major statistic uh, without Hill. Hill is that major. Uh, Hill is that major point that makes the Dolphins good. Without him, there's really nothing there. So, that is why I'm going to take, I'm going to go against the Dolphins. Interesting. Um, the, the Giants play the Saints in New Orleans. I've got the Giants pulling the upset over the Saints. Why? I mean, the Giants have been fantastic with Tommy DeVito these last few weeks. And with the Saints moving, um, the Saints benching Trevor Penning and starting Andres Pete at left tackle, I think Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari go off in this game like they went off against the Packers. And Michael Thomas is on IR for one more week. Marshawn Lattimore is on IR for one more week. The Giants just look healthier than the Saints right now. I know the Saints... I think the Saints are going to lose this game and win the division at 8-9. I really do. But they're going to lose this game. They're going to lose the uh, Rams. They're going to fall to 6-9, and nine, and then they're going to win the final two games against Tampa Bay in Tampa and the Falcons at home, and they're going to win the division at 8-9. That's how I think this is going to play out. They're going to drop to 6-9, and nine, and then they're going to win the last two games and get in at 8-9. and nine as the NFC South champion. That's how I think the season's going to play out with the NFC South division. But Saints just have too many injuries right now. Um, I like the Giants to win this one and to improve to 6-8 and eight on the year. I know it's kind of bold to pick the Giants, but if they play like they did against the Packers and they're playing a weaker Saints team that's dealing with a lot more injuries at the moment and the Giants are just healthier and they have momentum, a thing you value a lot, I know a lot of people. I've got the Giants winning 20-14. to 14. Tracy Porter and Brian Bayless agree with me. The rest of the staff has New Orleans winning. And Cameron Jordan, I think, is injured too for the Saints, as is Foskey. So it's like, that's another reason why I think the Giants may win this one. Why don't you break this down as much as you can? Then we'll get to tight Texans and Titans. If this is a Mac game, just say so. We'll go on to Texans Titans because I can understand the thought process of the Giants Saints being a Mac game. I mean, now it's uh, not that it's uh, something else, real quick. Uh... 
I think the Giants are in. The Giants without Daniel Jones are a much better team. Uh, yeah, how many times are you going to say that about a $50 million quarterback? They're a much better team with practically any quarterback except Daniel Jones. And you can tell by watching the Giants how much better and how much more comfortable the coaching staff is without him and how much they're able to run play that suit them more and without having to compensate for the quarterback. So in that regard, I'm looking and I'm saying, you know, the Giants do stand a good chance of this game of winning. Not going to be perfect, but they stand a much better chance of what I think a lot of people uh, realize. Yeah, Saints are favored by six. I'm guessing you're picking the Saints to win, but you've got this at like a field goal game. Yeah, it's not going to be a runaway game uh, or anything like that. I mean, it's going to be a close game. Texans head to Tennessee to take on the Titans. Um, C.J. Stroud is out this week. Davis Mills will get the start. I like the Titans. Titans have one loss at home, and it's to the Colts in overtime. Jalen Duncan has started three games at left tackle, and he's looked good in those three games. He held Bradley Chubb in check on Monday Night Football. He held the Colts. I mean, the Colts got a pressure, and he held um, he held Brian Burns in check in his three starts at left tackle. So it's like, you know, the Titans are 2-1 and one in those games. They finally have a blind side. Will Levis is playing with the fire and intensity you wanted to see from your quarterback at the beginning of the season. I've got the Titans 13-10. to Over-unders 37.5. I like the under in this one. Low-scoring game. Um, only four people on the site took the Texans. Bannel, Jesse, Tanya, and Wes. Everybody else has the Titans winning, man. Everybody else has the Titans winning at home against the Texans. I think you picked the Titans as well in this one. Yeah, and here's the thing. Yeah, for me, I'm looking at it, I'm saying so much of their success has been based on CJ Stroud. And without Stroud, that makes the situation for them much more difficult. They've got a nice young It's like when the Titans came to Houston with Malik Willis. Now the Texans get to experience that pain and agony. Yeah, so. You know, it's nothing against the Texans, but we're looking at DJ Stroud being their entire franchise. Yep. And right now, 
Their franchise is on the shelf. And that's difficult for them to get a win. Yes. So, final 1 p.m. game is Chiefs and Patriots. This was originally the Monday night game. It got flexed to 1 p.m. Chiefs are minus 9.5. There's a lot of people taking the Patriots to cover the spread because of the Chiefs' lapses on offense the last two weeks. I think the Chiefs win this game, and the over occurs. I like the Chiefs 27-13 over the Patriots. They cover the spread, but they only cover the spread by, like, uh, five points. They're 9.5-point favorites. They win by 14. It's not a pretty win, but it's not an ugly win either. And they start to get back on track. They don't play like the dominant offense you're used to seeing, but they they get back on track. It's not a pretty win or an ugly win. It's a it's a quality win though. Twenty seven thirteen Chiefs. Everybody on Draft Utopia except for Tracy Porter has the Chiefs winning. Tracy took the Patriots. We've got two and a half minutes left on anchor. I'll let you say whatever you want about this game for the next uh, two minutes, and then I'm gonna uh, cut the recording off. Yeah, then this game is one that I actually thought about taking the papers because I took the papers privately and it worked. But saying that I have more faith right now, Patrick Mahomes is not having a great year. Part of that is because he does not have a lot of great weapons. He has like two guys. He has two guys to throw to, a tight end and a rookie wide receiver. That makes things difficult, and his offensive line is not as good as we thought it would be. So, I do think that leaves wide open. Well, to be fair to Patrick Mahomes, Donovan Smith got injured at left tackle, and Wanya Morris, the third-round rookie out of Oklahoma, looked a lot better at left tackle against the Bills than Donovan Smith's looked all year. He needs to be the guy moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, but at the same token, still not what we thought it would be. Yeah. The big thing I'm looking at is I thought the Patriots defense has been really good this year. Same thing I said during the preseason. I thought they'd be really good, and they have been. But the Patriots offense has been absolutely abominable. And because of that, I cannot take the Patriots because I know Patrick Mahomes is going to do some Patrick Mahomes stuff, and they're going to end up. There's some people that think this is going to be a 13-9 game where the Chiefs are trailing, Mahomes throws like two or three picks, but he gets the touchdown at the last minute in the fourth quarter. I don't think the game turns out like that, but there are some people who think that because of the momentum, from a momentum standpoint, and you can see why. All right, we'll be back with the late games in the next anchor clip. Stay tuned. So... Cardinals and 49ers. Everybody on Draft Utopia has the 49ers winning. That is not a surprise. Final score here is 42-21. I have the Niners winning by three touchdowns in Arizona. So that's that game. We're not even going to discuss that game because it's such a lopsided matchup. And we, we've got four more games left before 1 p.m. So. All right. Best team in the NFL versus the worst team not named the Panthers. Yeah. Um, four commanders play the Rams in L.A. 
I like the Rams 31-21. I think it's going to be a shootout. I think Sam Howell actually plays well in this game, but Stafford's just that much better. Everybody taking the Rams except for Tracy, who's a Commanders fan. So that's that game. I mean, that is a fun matchup. The Rams are healthy at the right time. I think the Commanders can make that exciting because the Rams don't really have a good 34 right outside linebacker. So I do think Howell can make that a shootout. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you picked the Rams. Yep. The Bills and the Cowboys and Bills, my Super Bowl prediction at the preseason. Brian pivoted away from the Bills. He ends. Up, he's taking the Chiefs and the Cowboys, but that would be literally the worst case scenario for a Super Bowl. The team I picked in the preseason versus the team that you're growing to resent just as much as the New England Patriots. That is literally your worst-case scenario for a Super Bowl because if the Cowboys win, you have to give me credit to the point where even though you don't want to, and if the Chiefs win, it's like, eh, they're a dynasty. Now you, you just want to move on and forget this Super Bowl ever happened, just like you want to forget that Alabama and Georgia met in multiple national titles in college football. That's kind of where you'd be at if we got a Cowboys-Chiefs Super Bowl. You wouldn't be entirely there but you'd be sort of there but yeah I do have the Bills winning this game 35-34 yep but the Bills and Cowboys, I do have the Bills winning, but I think the Cowboys cover the spread. Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm going 35-34 Bills, and I have the Bills winning this game at the end. But, you know, majority of our staff has the Cowboys winning, and it's because of Dak Prescott, how well he's played down the stretch, and the momentum. So... And the Cowboys offensive line and the Bills offensive lines are both fully healthy, so I expect a shootout. You do realize if the Cowboys and Lions both knock out the Eagles and 49ers and make the NFC title, that both the Lions and Cowboys are going to be essentially forced to extend their quarterbacks. Because both Dak Prescott and Jared Goff enter contract years in 2024. So if we get a Cowboys-Lions-NFC title game, both teams will have to overpay their quarterback regardless of the result. But I don't think it'll go down like that. Yep, agreed. Um, and, you know, Dak, he's got a lot going for him right now. 
So I'm happy to see the success. I think it's great for the league. The Ravens play the Jaguars in Duval. Um, I am taking the Jaguars to win this. I'm going against conventional wisdom. And I am picking the Jaguars to win this in Duval. They're due for a Sunday. The Jaguars have been bad at home this year, but they're due for a Sunday night win. They're due for something. And I know Christian Kirk is out. I know Walker Little is out. But the Ravens have Owa, edge rusher. I don't trust Owa. I think the Jaguars can get the job done. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars. 21-20. Jaguars win by a point at the end. And the Ravens are favored by 3.5. I have the Jaguars winning by a measly point. Joey, Brian, and Tanya agree. The rest of the staff has the Ravens winning. And just to give you a better idea on some of the standings here, Lisa's now has a nine-game lead over Kerm and Brian Bayless. Um, Kerm entered the week in second, but he picked the Chargers. Brian was trailing by a game, so now Brian's tied with Kerm for second. I'm tied with Jason for fourth. Wes is um, sixth on the site. Tracy is seventh. Joey and Tanya are tied for eighth. Jesse moved out of last place for the first time all year, and Oren's in last for the second year in a row now, but... You know, Oren's still pretty cool. I love the fact that everybody takes the time to send me their picks. I'm grateful for this staff, grateful for everything we've done here at Draft Utopia. And it's like, yeah, um, you look at this um, game, I think the Jaguars win. I just feel like they're due for a win. Kyle Hamilton got injured, but they still have Geno Stone, who leads the NFL in interceptions. 
outside of Deron Bland, Geno Stone's number two in interceptions. And Geno Stone got demoted from starting safety to backup safety once Marcus Williams returned two weeks ago. Now he's back in the starting lineup. I think the Ravens are one of these teams. They're three deep at safety. So I don't think the Hamilton injury is a factor. Ingram's on a hot streak. Let's face it, Joey. He's on a hot streak. We got three minutes to break down the Eagles-Seahawks game, but Ingram had no touchdowns until the Bengals game. He gets his first touchdown then. He's, he's, he's been good two games in a row, and he's on a hot streak right now. I don't think that's going to play a role in the game, but we'll see. I mean, the Ravens have the number one pass defense in terms of uh, turnovers, but they they are in terms of interceptions. So, Eagles play the Seahawks. I took Philadelphia. I was tempted to take Seattle. I do have Seattle covering. I think this is a shootout. I'm going 31-28 Eagles. I just think the Eagles are too motivated to lose this. Tracy Porter did pick Seattle. So, the only locks this week were 49ers and the Packers. So, pretty crazy week. Yeah, Seattle is not playing great ball right now. So, I do not believe that they're going to be pulling the upset that you would normally think they were. They're going to have to pull themselves out of that spot first. I think they actually score enough points to keep it a one-score game and cover the spread. But they're going to lose to the Eagles. Because the Eagles are just in a funk. they got to get out of the funk. And I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I mean, my strategy most of the year has been take the under, study the depth charts, and take the under if the depth charts are even, and that's worked for the most part. This week, I think we see a ton of track meets, a ton of shootouts, and a ton of overs. And it's going to start in about one minute on NFL Network when the Colts take on the Vikings. So... That's what's going to happen, so I'll be multitasking. I've only got two games for Week 16 up at the moment, so I'm going to get back to editing the mock draft for the MLS. I'm going to um, watch the games. I'll uptype the scores for the game recaps. I'll have some fun, and I'll let Joey have some fun as well because we're done on 